Welcome to In Focus, a discussion of current issues affecting our economy, featuring a review of the latest research and analysis from the Washington Research Council. Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast from the Washington Research Council. It is August 3rd, 2015. I'm Mary Strau, the Communications Director and Research Analyst for the Research Council. Joining me today is Chris Showbloom, who is our Senior Economist and Research Director, and Emily Makings, who is our Senior uh, Research Analyst. So what do we have uh, on tap for today, guys? Chris, why don't we start with you? Well, um, last week I was um, gallivanting across the country um, to Denver, Colorado, where I attended the the annual research conference for the Governmental Research Association. Um, And uh, it was a nice break from Seattle. Um, It's a little bit warm there, but uh, but otherwise it it was a good time. A good time was had. I heard a number of fascinating presentations, but one that, that really intrigued me was for a a court case that's bubbling on there in in uh, Colorado. Uh, not clear that it has much precedent for for here us here in Seattle, but I, I think it's going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, Colorado has a, a has a, a law uh, that uh, constrains fiscal policy uh, called the uh, called generally known as Tabor. It's the uh, uh, taxpayer uh, um, uh, protection. Um, um, active, which um, limits the uh, ability of local governments and, and state government to raise tax revenues and, and requires um, revenues uh, coming in above what have been projected to be refunded to the states. Uh, to, the tax, state to the taxpayers, yeah. Uh, state citizens. Uh, and um, 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 this lawsuit um, is now attempting, claiming that the um, uh, that Tabor um, violates the uh, state, uh, the national constitution, and violates the uh, conditions under which uh, com, uh, Colorado was granted statehood, huh. um, which, which required that the um, that Colorado um, uh, have a uh, republican form of government. Um, and the, the fellows, the people who brought this suit, are now claiming that the that the essence of of a republican form of government is a representative form of government with a legislature where um, um, uh, responsibilities have been delegated by the people to the legislature. Uh, and and the argument is going to be that's being made is that that Tabor so constrains the ability of the um, of the legislature to manage the fiscal uh, affairs of the state uh, that it actually ceases to be a republican form of government. Wow. Yes. What, what's the argument about the, against the federal, on the federal level? Um, apparently there's something in the federal constitution that says it's, it's uh, Republican. But it, this huh. is the condition that was imposed by the federal government on becoming Oh, there, a it's state. Not, not under the federal constitution. Yeah, there there was some mention there was something, under the, something that you could cite under the federal constitution, mm-hmm. but also it was primarily looking at the act of Congress that enabled uh, Colorado to become a state. Hmm. I wonder what our... Uh, I looked at, we have similar language in the Enabling Act that allows us to become a state. And, and, and an interesting question as to whether the constraints that we um, um, 
that have been imposed on our legislature re regarding taxation and such are sufficiently yeah. severe to to raise to the to this, this level. So is the suit in federal court or is it yes a yes interesting. So if it moves, then it would potentially have implications. Potentially in would have impl implications, but I, but the the fellow I was listening to was was. Um, um, statement that made the statement that he wasn't sure how much uh, 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 a federal court decision in their favor would actually impinge on other states mm -hmm. because Tabor is is so extreme. Right with the re refunding, yeah, particularly, yeah. No, mm -hmm. yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna need a, a chart to to keep track of all these lawsuits. Yes, <laughs> yes, we've got one for practically every issue area. Education, yeah. taxes. Mm -hmm. yep. um, anything else, Chris? No. All right. That's it for now. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that report from uh, Colorado. Yes. Okay. Um, Emily, what's up with you this week? Uh, well, last week I looked a little bit more closely at the, the budget for the Washington Health Benefit Exchange, specifically how it's funded through the state operating budget. So... Um, as enacted by the legislature, the 2015-17 budget increases funding for the exchange by $77 million over 2013-15. And that's in terms of total budgeted funds. So that includes the, gen the state general fund, federal funds, and the health benefit exchange account. And um, in terms of just the general fund, the budget only provides uh, $11 million for the exchange. And most of that is related to Medicaid because um, the, Med the Washington State Medicaid program is handled through the website of the exchange, which is called the Health Plan Finder. So um, state money necessarily has to be funneled through into the exchange in order to fund that. Um, but there are um, state general fund dollars for uh, in-person assisters to help people enroll in, through the exchange, in health insurance through the exchange and for just operations of the exchange. And I'm a little unclear about how that squares with the fact that the exchange must be self-sustaining in 2015. I uh, called the exchange uh, last week, but I haven't heard back from them yet, so I'm, I'll be interested to hear, but um, because the under federal law, the exchanges must be self-sustaining right. by January 1st, 2015. And the to be self-sustaining, the definition is um, that um, the sources of revenues include federal grants, federal premium tax subsidies and credits, charges to health carriers, premiums paid by enrollees, and premium taxes, not state general fund dollars. So I don't know. I don't know how hmm. that... I'm sure there's a perfectly good explanation, but I don't know what it is. Or maybe not one, and maybe they'll <laughs> just wing it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the exchange did get um, a significant funding increase, uh, although it's not as much as the exchange had wanted, kind of par for the course in budgeting, but uh, the CEO of the exchange said that it would be sufficient resources to run the marketplace. We'll see how, see how it goes next year. Okay, and I guess we'll get some, hopefully, some follow-up on... Yeah squaring the self-sufficiency requirement with right. the fact that they're still getting money from yeah. from the state. <laughs> Isn't government interesting? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there seems like there's always a loophole yes. or a whatever, a way right. out. Um, anything else? 
Yeah. From Emily. Okay. Well, uh, just to round this out, I wanted to quickly mention um, a couple of interesting articles uh, that were in the Puget Sound Business Journal last week about Puget Sound manufacturers having a really difficult time finding skilled workers. Um, and we're talking about really good-paying, blue-collar jobs. Um, and they just they can't find the skilled workers to, to fill these positions. Um, and, uh, and it's something that I think we'll be following more closely here at the council um, uh, because it's of, it's of such great importance to the economy. Obviously, we still have a lot of uh, manufacturing um, in our region, and it's really important to our, uh, our economy in the state. Um, some of the, the issues that the manufacturers have found is that uh, schools are not providing the proper training. So you've seen, for example, high schools getting rid of what were called shop classes because um, they felt they weren't, I don't know, pizzazzy enough. Um, but those, those can give kids um, the, the fundamentals and training that they need to find some of these skilled jobs. Um, and what, the, what these companies have found as well is that they're having to, to um, implement a lot of in-house training in their own companies. Um, they also talked about a lack of broad collaboration um, amongst various workforce development entities statewide and locally. Um, so it's something, something to look at. Um, I mean, certainly when you have a bunch of really good paying jobs that are incredibly necessary to our manufacturing sector, including aerospace, um, that's, you know, that's a concern and, and, and an issue that needs to be addressed. So um, kudos to the Puget Sound Business Journal for, um, for delving into this more deeply. And that'll be it for today. Thanks, Chris. You're, you're very welcome. All right. And thank you, Emily. Thank you. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. In Focus is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. Your tax-deductible investment allows our work to continue. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.